this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor of Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we went over the Sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Today, in our next programs, we'll go over the Sacrament of Penance in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The night of Easter, the Lord Jesus showed himself to his apostles and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Those to whom you remit sins, they have them remitted. Those you retain, they are retained. This is chapter 20, verses 22 and 23 of the fourth gospel, St. John. So the catechism begins its presentation on this sacrament of penance by quoting the sacred scripture, the holy word of God. Whose sins you remit, they are remitted. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. To whom was he speaking? To the apostles. Who were their successors? The bishops. Who helped the bishops? The priests. The night of Easter, the Lord Jesus showed himself to his apostles and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Was it only for the first generation of Christians during the lives of the apostles that the forgiveness of sins, the remittance or the retention of sins was to occur? Or was this foundational? Was this part of the very constitution, the fabric, the makeup of the Holy Church of God? The Catholic Church believes it's foundational. The pardon, the forgiveness of sins committed after baptism, is granted by a proper sacrament called the sacrament of conversion, confession, of penance, or reconciliation. Here we have four different names for the same reality. Just like we call the Eucharist, the sacrament of the altar, the sacrifice of the mass, holy communion, the Lord's Supper, so many different names showing the different facets of the same reality. This comes to mind when I recall what my father would call my mother. Honey, lovey, dear, sweetie. He'd even use her proper name. Same person, different aspects. A sacrament of conversion. Why? Because conversion is not a once and it's over kind of thing. Oh sure, there is the initial conversion, the kerygma, the first proclamation of the faith. But please God, we're growing in faith. Please God, we're more and more converted towards the Lord. The sacrament is also called the sacrament of confession because by confession we admit what we have done. We confess our sins. But the word confession also has connotations of professing our faith. The creed, another name for it, is a confession of faith. And so when we make a good confession, when we go to the sacrament of penance, sacrament of confession, we confess not only the justice of God, the Lord Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, but we also confess our faith in the mercy of the Lord who forgives us when we are sorry. The sacrament is called the sacrament of penance because we're assigned a work to do. Christ the Lord, he has uh, done everything by his death and resurrection to save us, but he does call for our cooperation and our confession of faith, our confession of our sins. These are good works, but so too a further work, a giving of alms, a praying of prayer, a time of fasting. When Mother Church would call the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of conversion, 
the sacrament of reconciliation, it's because we are reconciled not only with Almighty God, we're reconciled not only with Mother Church, whom we've wounded by our sins, we're also reconciled with ourselves, whom we've wounded by our sins. And if we're reconciled with God and with Mother Church and with ourselves, please God, it's also an incentive for us to be reconciled with one another. Whoever sins wounds the honor of God and his love. His proper dignity, the proper dignity of man called to be sons of God and the spiritual well-being of the church which each Christian of which each Christian is to be a living stone. So when we sin, oh nobody's getting hurt. Well, we offend the good God who made us to do good, who made us to his image. Every sin dishonors God who calls us to holiness, to be saints. Whenever we sin, we wound the love of God who created us in love and redeemed us in love. We wound our proper dignity, abusing our free will, a gift given us by God. Our sins, even those done in private and in our thoughts. This wounds the spiritual well-being of the church, which is called to be a communion of saints. Each of us living stones. This reminds us not only of the temple in Jerusalem, which was built magnificently, out of stone, like our beautiful Holy Ghost Church here, but the church has living stones, and those are the people, the, the saints of today, please God, even as we celebrate the saints of old. We are those living stones when we live by God's grace, when we reject sin and Satan in our lives, and when we, when we embrace the gospel and live accordingly. In the eyes of faith, no evil is more grave than sin, and nothing has worse consequences for sinners themselves, for the church, or for the entire world. This is a very dramatic teaching we find in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In the eyes of faith, no evil is more grave than sin. What's the worst thing you can think of? Imagine being blind. Imagine being deaf. Imagine dying too young. Imagine mass ignorance. Imagine mass poverty. Imagine the worst thing in the world. And sin is worse. In the eyes of faith, and we believe that Jesus is Lord, why did the Lord Jesus suffer and die? For my sins and yours, for those of all times and all places, all peoples. In the eyes of faith, no evil is more grave than sin. And nothing has worse consequences for sinners themselves. What are the eternal consequences of unrepented mortal sin? I go to hell for all eternity. That's a bad consequence. And nothing has worse consequences for sinners themselves, for the church, and for the entire world. Because if the church is full of unrepentant sinners, that pulls us down. And if the world is full of unrepentant sinners, wow, it's not a very nice climate. So many people, rightly so, are concerned with the environment. Oh, no pollution. Well, sin is pollution. I don't want pollution in my body. I don't want pollution in my neighborhood. So let us all hear the cry of the gospel and embrace it and live it. And then it's not a bad consequence, but a good consequence, the conversion of the world, beginning with each of us and all of us together.
returning to communion with God after having fallen by sin is a movement born of the grace of God. Only the grace of God can change our hearts. We can dispose ourselves, we can encourage others to this disposition, but it's the grace of conversion. It's a gift of God. God who is full of mercy. God who is concerned for the salvation of each and all of us. We can ask this precious gift for ourselves. God, give it to me. Give me the conversion of heart I need. And we can ask this precious gift for another. God, convert my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my co-worker, my boss, my employee. God, change our hearts. The movement of the return to God, called conversion and repentance, implies sorrow. I'm sorry I've sinned, God. An aversion or a hatred regarding the sins committed and the firm purpose not to sin in the future, which is only possible by the grace of God. God gives the grace. Conversion touches, therefore, the past when we sin, the future, help me not to sin in the future, and this conversion is also fed by hope in divine mercy. In the 1930s, there was a saint in Poland, Maria Faustina Kowalski, and she reminded the world of the mercy of God with her special prayers and diary regarding the divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. That's the motto of the third bishop of Knoxville. The sacrament of penance is constituted by the ensemble, altogether, of three acts posed by the penitent, that's the person who goes to confession, and by the absolution of the priest, who's sometimes called the confessor. So the person who makes the confession, and priests go to confession too, they're called the penitents, and the priest who grants the absolution, even if he's just a bishop, is called a confessor. The acts of the penitent are repentance, confession or manifestation of sins to a priest, and the purpose to accomplish reparation and the works of reparation. We will go over those three acts of the penitent. Repentance, that's sorrow for sin, hatred for sin, repulsion from sin. And we do that when we examine our conscience, when we say, how have I failed? How have I not heeded the call to holiness? And so that might happen in the car or in the house or on our knees before we go to confession. Repentance, sorrow for sin. We have it when we examine our conscience. We have it when we actually confess our sins or manifest our conscience to the priest. Remember the Lord Jesus said to the apostles, whose sins you remit, they are forgiven. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. And the priests assist the bishops who are the successors to the apostles. Confession or manifestation of the sins. We spill the beans. Huh? Sometimes people are very uncomfortable. They have, uh, you know, hot under the collar to do that. But it's better to be hot under the collar a little bit here than for all eternity, I suppose. And the purpose to accomplish reparation, to do what little we can to, to show the further depth of our sorrow, of our repentance, the works of reparation. Maybe we're assigned as a penance to pray for someone we've offended. Or maybe we're assigned to give some alms to some worthwhile charity to feed the hungry, to house the homeless or clothe the naked, maybe just to spend more time in prayer. Acts of reparation, because so often our sins are acts, 
crimes against God and the holiness of God to which he's called us all to. So we manifest our sorrow when we examine our conscience. We further manifest our sorrow when we confess our sins and we continue to manifest our sorrow even as we accomplish the assigned penance. Repentance, also called contrition, must be inspired by motives which are relevant to the faith. If repentance is known by love of charity toward God, we say it is perfect. If it's founded on other motives, we call it imperfect. So the best reason to be sorry for our sins is because we love God, and sin is anti-love of God. But repentance, on its better moments, in its better moments, is inspired by the love of God, full-blown. The imperfect repentance or imperfect sorrow for sin is based on less pure motives, although there are motives of faith. I don't want to go to hell. Who of us wants to die in our sins and go to hell? Hopefully none of us. Now the funny thing is, to call that imperfect contrition, it's not imperfect in the Lord because the Lord does not will the death of the sinner, but that we be converted and live. The Eternal Father sent the Eternal Son, born of Mary, into the world to save us. God doesn't want us to die in our sins, but in us, the motivation for repentance is imperfect if it's only out of a desire to not suffer eternally. God is willing to work with imperfect contrition, but he prefers the one. When people meditate as they pray the Holy Rosary on the first sorrowful mystery of the Rosary, the agony in the garden, the fruit of that mystery is contrition, is sorrow for sins. Our Lord sweat blood for sins he never even committed. And do we just yawn? Ho-hum. Britney Spears sings her song, Oops, I Did It Again. God help us. The one who wants to obtain reconciliation with God and with the church must confess to a priest all grave sins which have not yet been confessed and which he knows after having examined his conscience carefully. When I go over the commandments of God in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that will help greatly uh, to form the conscience that the conscience might be well examined, that the sins may be well confessed. Without being in itself strictly necessary, the confession of venial faults, less serious sins, uh, is nevertheless recommended by the Church. Pope John Paul II of happy memory, he's uh, famous for having gone to confession just about every week. Not that he was necessarily a drug pusher, or an axe murderer, or a pimp, but because he knew that God does wonders in the sacraments and gives the grace we need to be saints. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we call God our Father, and that reminds us of our baptism. We say, give us this day our daily bread, and that reminds us of the Eucharist. But in the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, we also say, forgive us our trespasses. And there's a special sacrament for those sins we commit after our baptism. Baptism washing away original sin and any sins up to that point. The sacrament of penance is the special sacrament for the forgiveness of post-baptismal sins. Without being necessary, the confession of venial faults, less serious sins, recommended by the Church. The Food and Drug Administration of the federal government has daily recommended allowances. So too Mother Church has her recommended daily allowances, weekly allowances, monthly allowances, annual allowances. Don't put it off to tomorrow what you can do today.
The confessor, that's the priest who hears the confession and grants the absolution, proposes to the penitent, that's the person who's confessing, and priests go to confession too, to accomplish certain acts of satisfaction or of penance in view to repair the damage caused by the sin or sins and to reestablish the proper habits of a disciple of Christ. The Rolling Stones have their song about not being able to get any satisfaction. Well, we give a little satisfaction to the good God who wants to see a little goodwill on our side. And that we repent our sins is a sign of goodwill. And that we confess our sins is a sign of goodwill. And that we fulfill our penance, we do the work assigned to us, is yet another sign of the deepness of the sorrow we have for the sins we have committed, which are the proximate cause of the passion. Christ died for all sins. Do we allow his death to have been in vain, or do we allow his saving grace to be applied to us in the wounds which we have self-inflicted? God help us. Proper habits of a disciple. Go pray. Go give alms. Go fast. These things throughout the scripture. Only the priest who has received from the authority of the church the faculty to absolve can pardon sins in the name of Christ. This tying us back to that opening passage, St. John chapter 20, verse 22 through 23. Jesus said to the apostles, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the night of Easter. Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you retain are retained. Who are the successors to the apostles? The bishops. Who assists them? The priests. On the back of my driver's license, the driver's license, giving me permission to conduct a motor vehicle on the roads, on the back of it I have my license to preach the gospel, the New Testament religion, to administer the sacraments, to offer the sacrifice of the Mass, to absolve the repentant sinners. The spiritual effects of the sacrament of penance are several. Reconciliation with God, by which the penitent recovers grace. We lose grace when we sin. We gain grace in the sacraments. God gives us grace in baptism, the grace of divine adoption, the forgiveness of original sin and any sins to that point. We're made dwelling places of God. We're consecrated, set apart for divine worship. Each of the sacraments has its proper graces. So the grace we lose by our sins regained and, please God, improved in God's mercy. We're reconciled with the church. Remember, the sacrament of penance has all those different names. Conversion, confession, penance, reconciliation. So we're reconciled with God. We recover grace. We're reconciled with the church, which is the mystical body of Christ, who is God, one with the Father and the Spirit. Remission of eternal punishment incurred by mortal sins. Eternal punishment. The word hell isn't used there, but that's what the reference is about. Mortal sins. Mortal combat, a mortal wound, deadly. Something serious, we know it's serious, and we do it anyway. Unrepented leads to an eternity in hell, separated from God. The primary punishment is not fire or pitchforks in the hindquarters. The primary punishment of hell is separation from the good and loving God, who is not only merciful, but who is also just. The remission, at least in part, of the temporal punishments which follow sin. Temporal punishment dealing with time. So time in the here and now, or interestingly enough, in the hereafter. Interesting because when we breathe our last, we enter into eternity. 
so it's difficult to speak about time and eternity, just philosophically. King David suffered temporal punishments for some of his sins, the death of his firstborn, having been chased around by his son. Moses, not able to enter into the promised land, suffered a temporal punishment for his sins, having struck the rock twice. Remember his killing of the Egyptian, hiding him in the sand. Temporal punishments in the here and now or in the hereafter. In that state we call purgatory. Peace and serenity of conscience and spiritual consolation. This is one of the spiritual effects of the sacrament of penance. The most favorite, I think, of so many people. Why do people go to confession? Not only to get right with God, not only to receive the grace which we need to be saints. Who doesn't want peace of conscience, serenity of conscience? Who does not want to be consoled spiritually? To hear those beautiful words, those loving words, go and sin no more. Your sins have been forgiven. Reality therapy, if you like. And the last of the spiritual effects given in the Catechism of the Catholic Church here regarding the sacrament of penance is an increase of spiritual strength for Christian combat. So we're fighting a battle here against sin in our lives and in the world. We're fighting a battle here against Satan, the father of lies and the prince of darkness. We're fighting with the Lord on his side, under his banner, and the Lord strengthens us. And in him we conquer. He who overcame the cross and the grave, sin and death, we allow him to overcome those things in us too by our good confession. Individual and integral confession of grave sins followed by absolution remains the only ordinary means for reconciliation with God and with the church. When the catechism here uses the word individual, it's not the general confession we have at the beginning of Mass. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, the penitential rite, the sprinkling of holy water, the penitential rite, I confess to Almighty God, the penitential rite. That is a communal confession of sins. And it's not specific to whether it's a grave sin or a less serious sin, whether there was a full consent of the will or not individual each one of us after our baptism once we've reached the age of reason give or take a week about seven integral that means complete not withholding anything if i go to confession with three sins and only confess two because i'm embarrassed i walk out with four the three i walked in with plus the sin of a sacrilegious confession make a clean break the absolution is the prayer the priest prays I can speak it now over the radio, and it's not administering the absolution to anybody, but it's a beautiful prayer to hear. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This prayer of absolution is a laborious baptism. Laborious because so often we're baptized in our youth or in our infancy, and it's very easy. No sweat off our back. But when we 
come to confession. We know the depth of our sorrows and the depths of our sins, and we have to face the facts, not only the love and mercy of God, but his justice. The sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, the ordinary means, the only ordinary means for reconciliation with God and with the church. It's very serious. By indulgences, the faithful can obtain for themselves and also for the souls in purgatory the remission of temporal punishments which follow from sins. There's a great misunderstanding about just what an indulgence is. When the catechism uses the phrase temporal punishment, again, this is reference to purgatory in the afterlife or temporal punishments in the here and now in time. The, the caricature of indulgences is that, oh, it's permission to go sin, and that's anything but the truth. The indulgence acts to go pray these prayers, to do this good work. These are encouragements to live virtuous life, and the church offers those blessings as a happy consequence of our doing good. There's a whole book, even, I think in its fourth edition now, called The Handbook of Indulgences. The attacks made against Catholics, oh, you're buying, you're selling indulgences. Well, never in my lifetime bought or sold. There's a special sin called simony, coming from the Acts of the Apostles, when the magician Simon Magnus attempted to buy what was holy, the power he witnessed in the Apostles when they did miracles by the holy name of Jesus. One who would attempt to sell an indulgence, one who would attempt to buy an indulgence, the remission of temporal punishments entirely or partially, uh, would be guilty of the sin of simony, and God forbid one die in serious sin, one goes to hell. So the reason the church offers these indulgenced acts to pray your rosary out loud with others, meditating on the mysteries of salvation, the death, the resurrection, the incarnation of the Lord, to read the sacred scripture where those same mysteries are presented and prefigured, to bless oneself with holy water. All of these different indulgenced acts offered as an incentive to do good, to be holy, to conform ourselves with the holy will, the plan of God. When the indulgences are, attain, are, are obtained for the souls in purgatory, there are special ones which come to mind, especially during the month of November, the month of the poor souls in purgatory, visiting the graves, praying the De Profundis, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, praying the prayer, Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and the souls of the faithful departed, the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. These are prayers which the church encourages, recommends to us, that we might grow in virtue, that we might forsake sin, 
that we might help others through our communion in prayer. The saints in heaven and those of us still on the face of the earth, we're in a position to aid those who are still waiting to be fully purified before they would enter the presence of the all-holy God, almighty God in heaven. Those souls who await their liberation in purgatory, they are well assured of blessed eternity on high, and we can do our part to help them. Until next time, when we will continue our presentation on the sacrament of penance, God bless you.